You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. You know, I know it's only been a couple of games in spring training, and you're crazy to sit there and look at a stat sheet and say, oh no, this guy's not hitting, or look at this guy go nuts and get all excited about it. We've just started for crying out loud. Starting pitchers come in sometimes in the middle innings. They get a, an inning of work. We saw we saw a spring training game actually end without umpires because the, uh, the Pirates and the Orioles wanted to have just one more half inning to work out a pitcher and have a couple of guys getting at bat, and the umpires were having none of it. They're like, no, no, the yeah, game's over. Yeah, we're just, we're just done. <laughs> I thought that was great. They're like, well, we'll play without you. And then the umpires are like, just like looking back all angry and then walking up the line and then looking back like, what? They're really going to play without us and walking back up the line? You know, that's what it's going to look like when they replace you behind the plate with a computer as well. Exactly. Yeah, you're not, <laughs> you're not, you're not doing yourself any favors there, guys, by not just, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll hang out for a half inning. What the hell? Right, maybe you should get along, all right? Because you're becoming timekeepers more than you're becoming umpires these days. And I, and I want to get into some of the weird things I've seen in spring training with that. But going back to the early stats sheet, the thing that sticks out to me is when you look at plate appearances at bats with the White Sox early on, who are the White Sox sending up to the plate early and often in spring training? A lot of the names make perfect sense. Luis Robert, Yohan Moncada, of course, on their way to Taiwan now, I believe, for the World Baseball Classic. They're they're already on their way, long flight ahead for those guys. They'll be in the air for like two days, however long that takes. I mean, I remember I went to Australia. I woke up and slept about three times each before I made it there, and they're even going further away. So they, they've got a long trip ahead of them, and they're gone now, and they're doing the WBC, and that's probably good because neither one of them were doing anything very exciting in their first few games in spring training and being in a competitive atmosphere, as I've said, is a great thing for Yoan Moncada because I think that's a guy who needs to be around like his countrymen and like have yeah. fun in spring training instead of being constantly asked, what are you going to do to be 2019 Yoan Moncada again? Which I think is impossible. And there's been so much on him. So I'm glad he's off and he gets to go and perform. And then Aloya Menez is raking and getting a ton of at-bats. But there's another guy raking and getting a ton of at-bats, plate appearances. And that's Oscar Colas. Well, that's telling, isn't it? Yeah, well, the plate appearance is what I'm excited about because right. it tells me they're like, get that kid out there, have him play, and as long as he's not just awful, that's the right fielder. I mean, it solidifies it more and more in my brain, that's the right fielder. Because he, you know, he's being told, you're going to get every opportunity. He's like, yep, I'm taking that opportunity. I mean, it's only, I think he's only been in the plate like, 11, 12 times. Let me, let me see if I can find it real quick. Here we go. He's been in five games. He's uh, got 11 at-bats, and he hasn't walked yet, so that's 11 plate appearances that he's had. He's 5 for 11 with a 455 average, a 910 OPS. All I care about with him is, are they using him a lot? Because that indicates to me they want to see everything they can with him, and it continues to back up to me that that position's filled. He may not be on the 40-man, but that position's filled. Yeah, well, and that's that's the the key. When you're looking at stuff in spring training, right, you, you can't put too much stock into what he's doing. Like, for example, the fact that he's only struck out once. 
right? That that's not indicative of the fact no, that he's, he's going to do a lot more than that this year. That's for sure. Yeah, he's not Stephen Kwan of the Guardians, <laughs> right? He's not a guy who never strikes out. He's a guy that's going to strike out quite a bit, but that's okay because right now what he's doing is he's taking advantage of the opportunity. He's putting the bat on the ball and he's playing a lot. And he's getting the opportunities, and that's all you're asking for. And if the Sox are serious about giving him a shot, this is the time that you got to start seeing it. You don't want to see him at the end of spring training, then suddenly getting a few at-bats here or there. You want to see him now right out of the gate going and getting a chance. This episode of Socks in the Basement and every episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you by the home of the podcast for fans, by fans, Cork and Carry at the park, 33rd and Princeton in the shadow of the ballpark, award-winning menu of burgers, your home base for pregame and postgame. Bring the whole family over before the game. Enhance the ballpark experience. An incredible rotation of craft beers, familiar favorites, spirits, and wines. And get ready for the Southside Irish Parade on the 12th of March. Socks in the basement will be out at the parade at Cork and Carry Beverly. And I got boxes and boxes of free swag to give away to you, the listeners of Socks in the Basement. So get out to the Cork, 10614 Southwestern Avenue. That is like the epicenter of the Southside Irish Parade. Once again, we will be in the middle of it in the biggest party on Western. We will see you March 12th. See more at CorkandCarry.com. I I also look at the Yuan Mankata thing since I mentioned him heading off to the WBC. And I, and I see that as a positive. Like, I, I hate pitchers pitching in it, but I think that kid needs to get his headspace cleared because one of the things that I noticed is that he's walking a little bit early on. Like, he's not hitting very well, but he's drawing walks. I've seen his new manager explain that we need to get that right. We need to work on when he's supposed to be disciplined and taking and when he's supposed to be swinging because it's not so much with him that he needs to draw more walks or he needs to be more patient. It's knowing when to be aggressive and when to be patient because you could very easily point at 2021 with Yohan Mankata and say that in 520 at-bats, 616 plate appearances, the guy drew 84 walks. And last year, he struggled with only 32. You could say, well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's why he drops from 263 to 212. And it could be part of it. Just way too aggressive, right? But then when you look at him in 2019, when he has the aberration year, that's not his norm. That's his aberration year. I know a lot of people keep saying, when is he going to be 2019 Mancata? I don't know if we'll ever get that. 315 with a 915 OPS and MVP votes. He only had 40 walks over 559 plate appearances, 511 at bats. So he wasn't drawing a lot. The only thing I can remember, and this is just like a fan sitting in a bar with another fan, right? Like, that's what this okay. show is. The only thing I remember distinctly about him without doing a deep dive in the stats and grabbing a bunch of sabermetric sheets is that when Yohan first came up, all I kept thinking was, this guy's got an incredible eye. His command of the strike zone when he first got to Chicago was almost like Frank Thomas. I know some people think that's sacrilege. I'm not saying he hits like Frank Thomas will ever be Frank Thomas. I, you know that I don't feel that way. But the command of the strike zone. The command of the strike zone. There were times when he was right and the ump was wrong and the broadcast would show it. And the thing where you go online and you follow the games and the pitch trackers, they would all show that the umpire was wrong and he was right. And he was basically just a young kid that wasn't getting any respect at the plate that let's say if he was a superstar who had been established for a couple of years, he would have gotten those calls, I think, a little bit more. You know, umpiring is human, which is why they continue to test these these robot umps and 
I wonder whether or not that gets into his head because I haven't felt that way about him now in the last couple of years. It, it, maybe that's what the trick is. It's all above the shoulders with him. And I've been convinced of that for a while. It's not talent. It's everything going on above the shoulders. And that's the real thing that, that Pedro has to figure out. Well, let me drop some stats on you then. Okay. To, to show you what it is you're talking about and, and how we're talking about this and why this is a, a, you know, an actual thing here. You're talking about not drawing more walks, which is, is sort of substantiated by what he did in 2019 versus 2021. But when you go deeper, okay, you go and you see what he did last year compared to what he did this year or even compared to what he did in 2019. One of the things that changed in 2021 was he did not swing at the first pitch as much, okay? In 21, he swings 18.8% of the time at the first pitch. In 2019, that was 30% of the time. Last year was 26.7% of the time. He doesn't work the count as well last year and even in 2019. Well, I nobody on this re- team did that last year. That that was clearly a philosophy. That was a Tony LaRussa problem. I, I understand. Yeah. But, but I, I, don't, I don't care about Tony because Tony's dead and gone. Okay. <laughs> he I'm just talking about what Yoel Moncada's <laughs> approach was in 2019 versus 2021 versus last year. Okay. Last year, he does not get to 3-1 counts. He does not get to 2-0 and counts. He does not get to the deeper counts as much. Okay. But it mirrors sort of what he did in 2019. So last year, he gets 9% of the time he gets to a 3-1 count. 6.6% of the time he gets there in 2019. 2-0 counts, 12% in 2019, 11% in 2022, okay? But in 2021, he's working deeper. 11.4% of the time he gets to a 3-1 count. 15.7% of the time he gets to a 2-0 count. So what he's doing is he's working the pitcher in 2021 that he's not doing in 2019 and 2022. But the other difference is... It's the happy fun ball, okay? This is why he'll never be 2019 Yohan Moncada again. He had an absurd, for him, exit velocity. His career-high exit velocity of averaging 93.6 was in 2019. His hard hit rate is 50.6%. His line drive rate is a career-high 30.7%. He is crushing the ball because everybody could crush that ball. Right. It was a different baseball. It's very obvious now for anybody that's paying attention that the baseball has changed. Last year, trying to mirror again what he's done in 2019, the problem is is that his exit velocity last year averaged 88.2 miles per hour. Okay, So he's aggressive. He's not taking walks. He's not working the count in 2019 and in 2022, but he can't hit the ball as hard because it's not the happy fun ball anymore. And he's more spread out between ground balls and fly balls last year, and he doesn't hit as many line drives. In 21, with a better average, he's hitting 30%, actually 31% line drives, 44% on the ground, only 20% in the air. The more he tries to hit home runs, the worse his average gets, the worse he gets as a hitter, and the less he works the count and uses that batting eye that you're right, I think he's got, the worse off he is as the hitter. So he's aggressive last year, and you're right, that might have been a Tony La Russa philosophy, but it doesn't serve Yohan Moncada well. And the only time in his career it did is a year where you and I could walk out there and one-handed hit one out of the park because the ball is that lively. And as we and the White Sox try to get Yohan Moncada on track, I want to remind you that if you're looking for exterior windows, doors, patio doors, storm doors, you want to go to Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. No high-pressure sales. Nobody's coming into your living room, your kitchen, walking in with a little miniature window, not wanting to leave until you sign something. Forget that. You don't need to look through a book or a catalog to see what everything's going to look like. You go into their showroom, 
see full examples, all the different glass designs it's on display. The owners are in the showroom, the owners are on site. All window and door superstore installers, they don't farm out the work, that means they're there from the beginning to the end to make sure you get the best quality. They've been around for 40 years, in Oak Forest since 1985. All major brands, custom made, no stock items, that way you get a perfect fit. They are a half block east of 159th and Ridgeland. Stop in today, 6280 159th Street. See more at windowdooroakforest.com. Take another player that's not on the White Sox that you can find something similar in terms of how their stats dropped from 2019. That I, I mean, it, it's to me, Ketel Marte in Arizona. And the only reason I realize this is because I've had him on my fantasy team for a couple of years. So I've done a lot of analysis of the guys that I'm like trying to win in the league every year. So that's the moment you're talking about this. I'm like, oh man, it's just like Ketel Marte because in, in 2019, he goes and hits 329 with a 981 OPS. He's basically Yohan Moncada out there, except he hits 32 home runs to Moncada's 25. Moncada's a 915 OPS and Marte's a 981. So Marte's a better player. When the happy fun ball goes away, he sees a drop as well, but he's got a little bit more power, a little bit higher exit velocity, a little bit more that he brings at the plate when he makes contact with the ball. So he drops off from, what did he have again? He had 32 home runs to getting 14 and 21 and 12 last year, where Moncada's was 25 to 14 to 12. So what I surmise from that is Marte kept his average up. Moncada didn't, which would make me think that maybe Marte adjusted to the new ball where Moncada didn't. He's still trying to hit home runs. Maybe Moncada trying so hard to be a home run hitter is, is hurting his average and hurting his approach at the plate. He may not be the kind of guy that can get the ball out of the ballpark on a regular basis. Maybe he's a seven or eight home run a year guy, but he can put him into the gaps and hit for a higher average and keep his OPS up because of the the extra base hits. Because there's a fall off for him and there's a fall off for Marte. Marte's average doesn't go down because he doesn't he doesn't get screwed up in his plate approach. Plus, he's a little bit stronger when he hits the ball. He may be like, you know what? I'm not as much of a home run hitter. He's just getting about 12 of them out a year. Moncada's doing everything he can to get it out. You see him up there at the plate, still trying to swing with all of his might because he wants to be a 20 home run guy. He might not be that anymore. You think I'm crazy to think that? Like, like it was when I put those two players against each other, I see one that adjusted after the happy fun ball and kept his average up. And yeah, he gets 12 out, but he went from being a 30 some home run guy to a 12 when the happy fun ball went away. Moncada has, he, he maybe should drop a little bit more on the home. Run. I hate saying we don't need as many home runs, but what kind of a hitter would he be if he wasn't always trying to hit it out and ending up on the warning track? Well, and that's where I think the line drive rate comes into play. Okay. The higher line drive rate for him in 2021 versus when he's trying to elevate the ball. He has better success in that trying to hit the gaps, okay, and trying to hit the ball and be a singles, doubles, hard hit, out to the outfield, just make contact kind of guy, as opposed to lofting it and hitting it up and out. So compare that to, like, say, Tim Anderson, who also has a very low fly ball rate and tends to go ground ball and fly ball. But the difference with Anderson is, is that from 2019's Happy Fun Ball, where he's got you know a career high, not not even a career high in, in uh, average exit velocity, but his exit velocity in 2019 is 88.5 miles per hour. Last year, it's 88.2 miles per hour. 
And he maintains his hard hit rate. He maintains his line drive rate. He maintains his ground ball rate. Actually, went up a little bit last year over over 2019, uh, where he was able to hit a few more in the air, right? Because everybody was able to. But he maintains the higher line drive and ground ball rate, gets the ball through with decent exit velocity, a decent hard hit rate, because he's barreling it up, right? He's just trying to get bat on ball and do something good with it by hitting it hard. And Anderson can still get it out over 10 home runs a year. So if Yohan Moncada takes a similar approach, why not? Like, why couldn't he do something along? I'm not saying that he's even Tim Anderson ask in terms of the absurd, for example, his absurd, you know, uh, uh, Babbitt, the, you know, the average on balls in play where Anderson, you know, in 2019, it was, it was almost 400 last year. It was 350. It's been somewhere between, you know, that and 400, for the last few years when he's really been at his peak. But if Moncada can do something like that, right? If he can if he can just put the bat on the ball and really work to you know, not try and be a home run hitter, he can do that cuz you know, one of the things that that you know, his BABIP, frankly in 2019 was 406 and in 2021 when he had a better year it was 350. So if he recreates that and tries to focus on that and is more selective, he's going to be a better offensive player all the way around than factor in his glove. And that's a third baseman you can definitely go pretty far with. Well, here's the thing. It goes back to what we've talked about now on previous shows, and we've gone over now for a long time since we've been on this show analyzing him, is that a lot of it's mental, a lot of it's his approach. Some of it is the pressure put on him to be something that he's not. Like he's not going to be, a, you know, that that guy. You know, we were we were sold that bill of goods. He believes it, too, I believe. And so when he's not that superstar, he goes backwards because of the amount of pressure on his shoulders. You're right. He needs to take a different approach at the plate. He needs to understand when it's time to take. He needs to start relying on that eye. He needs to uh, be selective to a certain point, but know when it's time to pounce. And he needs to, you know, hit more doubles and less home runs and contribute to the team because you're not a middle of the order guy and nobody expects you to be anymore. Right. I mean, like I would be super happy with that kind of an approach with the results it'll probably bring and the glove that he has with him. Other guys in in spring training, just some quick observations. Uh, Yasmani Grandal looks I wrote it down here. Looks spry. Right. Like he looks like he's five years younger. Wait, wait, wait. Is he in the best shape of his life? By <laughs> I, any I chance? think he is. I think he is. I mean, like I, I laughed as I said it because I was like, I just said he was in the best best shape of his life. He's probably not that. You just said he looks spry. He but looks yes, spry. You get the idea. He does. He looks like I mean, like he looks like he's ready to go. I don't know how long that's going to last, but if he's really healthy, like I, you know, I'm doubtful that everybody's bouncing back. Right. I'm doubtful that everybody's going to have their best year ever. And I'm doubtful everybody's going to stay healthy. I think that those are just pie in the sky hopes. I mean, it's this isn't a video game where you can go click off no injuries in the settings and uh, and and put it on the easy level. It's not going right. to be that. No, no, it's not that. But I do look at certain guys and say, well, he's a candidate for a bounce back, right? Like he's showing me something early on that I go, yeah, yeah, it probably won't be as bad as last year. I mean, it doesn't need to be as great a season ever. It just needs to not be as bad as last year, right? You just need to have him come up and not feel like, well, this is an out. And, and, and you know, that's I think that's the difference with him. Yeah, and, and that's where, you know, with, with Grandal, what you're really asking for with an, any old catcher, any any veteran old guy catcher, and that's what Yasmani Grandal is at this point. I know he's not old in the grand scheme of things, um, but he's 34 years old. So in the grand scheme of being a major league catcher, he's ancient. What you're looking for is you're not looking for 
again, we'll go back to 2019 and the season that really got him this contract, right? The 153 games from Milwaukee where he hits 246, has 28 bombs, you know, and, and is this all-world everything. What you're looking for is probably something closer to, you know, when he was with the Dodgers, a, a 230, 240 average, somewhere in there. Um, you know, double-digit home runs, get some doubles, take a large amount of walks, not strike out a whole bunch, right? Get get that, you know, good, solid on-base percentage. And, and if you get that out of him, and you get that out of him over 115 games, you know, let's say he recreates 2015, 115 games, 234, 756 OPS, 16 homers, 47 RBIs, basically a part-time guy, uh, all-star. And I'd take it, right? I'd, right. I'd take that all year for him. And then Sebi Zavala, you know, is probably not going to be as bad as he's been projected by. If you, if you go and look, you look him up right now, fan graphs, everybody has Sebi Zavala predicted to just be awful for whatever reason. That's because his BABIP was crazy. If you look at last year, there was a, there was a, a measurable amount of luck. That's what that kind of measures is that whether or not there was luck, like a guy like right, Tim Anderson, right, right. he has it. He always, he it looks like it's lucky until he does it for three years. And then you go, no, he's just really good at putting it where they ain't right. But like until you see a guy do it at that pace, when you see the, that stat the way it was last year for Zavala, that's why like people are like, well, the safe bet is that his luck runs out. I mean, you don't know, though, until they play the games. That's that's the fun of getting ready for what I hope will be a pretty good season. Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. So I'm looking at some things that are happening in spring training with the new rules. And just just a couple stray observations. Well, one one that I just want to laugh at, and then I want to get into another one when it comes to strategy. I noticed in a game, it wasn't a Sox game. I've seen the highlight. I'm sure a lot of you have seen it. Uh, spring training game, batters getting into the box. Pitchers not quite ready to go. They've hit their time limit with the clock. And the umpire rules that the hitter wasn't ready. The hitter's like looking at the pitcher like, well, he wasn't ready to pitch. And he's like, no, no, no. You have to be ready independent of whatever he's doing. So the pitcher wasn't ready either. So he gives a ball and a strike to the count. So the at-bat starts one and one. And the first thing I thought was, what happens if it's a full count and they're both not ready? <laughs> like, I mean, like this, this whole thing is like maddening when I watch uh. it. <laughs> like, you know, I really hope they figure this out. Like, I get the theory of it. I was explaining this to my daughter. She's she's going to Mother Macaulay High School. She's a junior over there. She's doing a great job. Okay, she just got her ACT back. We're all. She came home and I, she told me her number, and I was like, "Well, you're going in whatever college you want to. You're you're wonderful. You are not Daddy's problem." 
You know, what, what, what can I buy you? Can I buy you an ice cream cone? Can I get you a car? I love you. Well, there's two ends of the spectrum right there, an ice cream cone and a car. Yeah, well, I'm going to lean towards ice cream cone. The car was a joke. The ice cream cone was more real. The, the, the thing that she had to write about was she was, she was asked in a class to critique the new rules in Major League Baseball. So she's like, this is stupid and this is dumb. And she's like asking me about it. What do I think? And I'm like, well, I, I honestly feel like if they figure out the clock like the minor leagues did, you won't even notice it. And that's what that's what you eventually think is going to happen. And if that happens, the games move a little bit quicker, right? And uh, you're you're going to be more engaged in the game, and people are going to have to put down their cell phones. And a couple other things are going to happen, right? If the game's moving quicker and it's quicker in between at bats, maybe we won't need as many color commentators to have uh, conversations about their golf games anymore on the radio or on the TV because there's not enough time to do it. Like like Casper and DJ were like shocked at how quick a game was going the other day. And they couldn't get any stories in. Well, good. You know, Vin Scully used to do it all by himself. Harry Carey used to do it all by himself. Like, you know, now maybe just call the game. Remember when Farmer and Jackson would just sit around and talk about their one hit and their one pitch that they had? Or their like one time yeah, they pitched? Yeah. Right. And I heard that story all the time because they were always filling time. I don't have to hear that kind of stuff anymore because the game moves so quick. So they, I think that that's a positive. Like, I'm trying to find the positives in it. If they can figure out the clock, that's a positive. You want to know what another positive is going to be? I guarantee you the moment they look at the receipts at White Sox home games and the game is moving so quick, they're not selling as much beer. You'll be able to get a beer through the eighth inning. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah. You're going to see all kinds of drinking open up in that ballpark because, you know, people aren't going to change their speed when the game changes. So they're going to spend less money on concessions. It'll be cheaper for you to go to a ball game because by the time your kid looks at you and says, I want a cotton candy, you'll be like, hey, it's the ninth inning, kid. Should have got me about 20 minutes ago, you know, because the game's going to move. So I think that's what fascinates me about the clock. And so and that and the fact that like with the uh, the the uh, the count there, like what would they do if it was a full count? But the clock thing is just it, it's 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 fascinating for me to watch as long as it works out and you barely see any actual violations during the year, then I'm going to love it. Well, and I think that you're going to see a lot of violations in spring as guys get used to it. Right. Who haven't had to deal with it before. But during the year. It'll be pretty inexcusable if you've gone through spring training and you don't have a, a sense of how to do this, right? It, it, it's I don't think it's going to impact the play on the field. I don't think you're going to have walk-offs based on a clock violation the way you know we we had at the beginning. I guarantee of, you'll uh, have one this spring. Year. I guarantee you're going to get I, one. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to be widespread. No, Somebody but you're going to get it. one. Some, some idiot will do it. Somebody's yeah. going to go nuts. The, the post-game conferences that this is in baseball when in reality it's your batter's fault for not being ready to go. I mean, because it's because, you know, somebody is going to be like, I got to get I, this is a big moment. I need that extra three, four seconds and they're going to get called. It, it's going to happen. I mean, the playoffs is the thing that I'm really curious about because I'm going to tell you something right now. First, I'm sick of six hour playoff games, right? So, I mean, I'm totally well, I'm totally all for it, but like wait till that actually influences the outcome of a playoff game. So, I mean, look, I really hope that they adjust to it. The, the thing I want to get into before we run out of time here is the pitcher disengagement rule. A lot of people are like, oh, you only get two throwovers the first. No, 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 no. It's disengagements. It's stepping off the mound. That, that's a pitcher disengagement. You get two of them and then you can't do it anymore or it's a balk. Right. So... What the White Sox did the other day was really interesting. It's first and third, and Anderson's on third base, and he comes down the line to get the pitcher's attention, and the pitcher disengages, and that's one. If he can get him to disengage a second time, now the guy on first can take a bigger lead. 
Think of the strategy when you're first and third. Like, remember when you were in Little League and you were taught the like all the different things that could happen on first and third? Like, all right, we're like, I remember we used to have signs in the infield. You know, uh, one sign was when the guy goes to steal second base, catcher is just going to throw to the pitcher. There was the cutoff where the second baseman steps in front of second so we can get a better throw home in case they're going to send the guy from third the moment that you throw down to second. And then there was a sign, we'll just throw the guy out at second base because I don't think the guy at third is coming. But you had to account for that. Okay, there's even more strategy now because the pitcher is either going to have to let the guy come down third way further than he's used to, which is going to be distracting and you may see a few stolen home plates. You know, you might see somebody steal home a couple times who's really fast and they're like, well, I can't disengage here and I'll start my windup. And now you got to, you got to, you know, there's so much strategy there, but you could also see teams now messing with the battery of the catcher and pitcher when they have a runner on third to give a better advantage to the guy that's over at first base. It's it's amazing. These, the different strategy items that are coming out of this new rule. The fact that it's disengagements also, you're right. It it means that you can't step off when the guy's on second. You can't step off when the guy's on third and jacking around. Also, they have to do something that you don't, you know, you don't really appreciate as much, but how many times are you watching a pitcher will come set and then we'll decide he's he's going to step back because he really didn't like the pitch call or he wasn't comfortable with his grip or something like that. So he's going to watch that stuff too, which is going to have a, you know an effect on it. So pitchers and catchers are going to have to be on the same page. You're going to see fewer shakeoffs for one thing. And then when you get into those high-pressure situations where you've got first and third and nobody out or one out where they're already trying to keep a guy going, think about a bunt in that scenario. If you know that the pitcher has disengaged once or twice and can no longer really make a throw over. How much easier is it to score on a bunt or get a bunt going? You get it down. The guy's already at second place. The, the guy's already at second. The guy's already home. You're talking right? to squeeze. You're saying, you're saying you got a guy yeah, on third I'm to squeeze. and you, or you're in that first and third situation or something like that. And you get enough disengagements. Now he doesn't even have to worry about the pitcher suddenly stopping what he's doing. Now, now remember he could, the pitcher can stop, but he's got to get you out, right? So you don't have, yeah. like, free reign. So, I mean, like, the pitcher the pitcher can get – so if you, like, just willy-nilly just take off, he's, he can still sit there and say, okay, fine, we're gonna, I'm going to run directly at him down the third base line, start a rundown, and get this guy, right? He can come off the mound if he sees the guy come off too much. But if the guy turns around real quick and goes to third, he better get him at third when he throws over. Or it's a balk. Yeah, and and, and for right-hander, you know, you're not going to necessarily do that. If they put on any kind of a wheel play or something where the third baseman can't be covering quite as well, that's going to be, it's all going to factor in. So there's a lot more strategy that happens with that than even with the pitch clock type of a thing where, you know, that's meant to speed up the game and you're going to see that impact the game in obvious ways, like you said, we're going to have, you're right, we are going to have one walk-off this year, you're right, about, you know, that that's going to come from a pitch clock violation in some fashion. And you're going to have an, a, an impact in a playoff game from it too, where someone someone is going to act like they're ready or think they're ready or, you know, the ump is going to make a, a determination or something like that about the batter's readiness that's going to have an impact. But the, the tiny little minutia there of being able to mess with a pitcher and being able to strategize how you work on the base pass with that new rule, with with limiting pitcher disengagements, you may not notice it, but it's going to be something that by the end of the year, I think you are going to see teams have scored more runs and have, you know, more than just 
a higher stolen base count to show for it. All I know is I'm glad I have this manager that does all this preparation and teaching, right? Than the guy who sleeps in the dugout. (laughs) Don't you feel like if if these rules were in place with Tony La Russa, at least as he showed himself managing last year, that there would be a situation where there would be a pitch clock violation because the catcher and the pitcher would be looking to the dugout for the call, and Tony would be calling for the third throw over to first base. <laughs> and then afterwards, James Spiegel is telling him, you know you can't do that three times. I didn't know that. I didn't know that, but thanks for telling me. I appreciate it. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.